face. It's Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, host of this absurd experiment on this edition of the pod. We bring to the round table our full-time employee, Dave Cameron, ace of database, Matthew Carruth, and the Polish W himself, Joe Polakowski. On the pod, we begin by taking a look at Levon Hernandez and his absurd season. We move on to consider a writerly question, specifically, what makes a good game or series preview? And finally, we end by allowing Joe Polakowski to deliver a 17-minute soliloquy on his hatred for interleague play. This sort of white-hot analysis and more on this episode of Fangraphs Audio. Yes, welcome to another edition, another white-hot edition of Fangraphs Audio. Again, let's see who's sitting about this incredibly round table. Who do we have first? We have Fangraphs full-time employee, also co-proprietor of USS Mariner, Dave Cameron. Dave, how are you doing? I'm good, Carson. How are you? Good. Are you excited to join us today? I, I am, because the last time I was on a podcast with Joe Polakowski, he was uh, making fun of me for my James Shields Ailes Cy Young pick, and so now I get to mock him for it. Oh, good. Well, I'm excited for that. Also, you're graduated now. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. A week ago, I got, I got my diploma. Are you ready to be a productive member of society? Not at all. Good. Smart. Uh, let's see. In terms of productive members of society, uh, the question is, is Matthew Carruth one of them? Well, he's a co-proprietor of Lookout Landing. He contributes also to Fangraphs. Matthew, are you, uh, first of all, how are you doing? And second of all, are you a productive member of society? I'm doing pretty well, and uh, I try my best to be productive in certain aspects. I don't know if it's to the benefit of society or not. Yeah, that's probably the case. You know, one way you have helped society is by virtue of your series previews. That's one of the topics we're going to get to today. Uh, at least I heart them real bad. <laughs> More or less than Colby Lewis. Um, let's not get to that place. Uh, I might start gushing. Uh, last, but certainly not least, is uh, Joe, the Polish W. Polakowski, joining us from the great city of New York. And uh, he's co-proprietor of River Ave Blues with another uh, fangraphs slash rotographs contributor, Mike Exisa. Joe, how are you doing today? Uh, doing well. And I'd also like to point out that I also made fun of Dave's pick for Josh Hamilton as MVP. And my guy is doing pretty damn good right now. Who was your guy? Miguel, uh, Miguel Cabrera. Oh yeah, that guy's pretty good. You really uh, you went out on a limb there for that one. Although, oh yeah, well, Josh Hamilton, that's a bit limbish, I guess. But yeah, then Miguel Cabrera, not bad at baseball. I think we can all agree on that. Okay, well, um, as I probably mentioned in the, in the uh, introduction, although I can't guarantee it, today we're going with a new look in that uh, we're going to try and keep this uh, this edition of the pod as free of facts and or evidence as possible. We'll get to that in a second, although we did want to get to one topic. Dave Cameron, um, I think that you're thinking that maybe one way to go today would be to discuss the sort of oddity that is Levon, well, Levon Hernandez in general, perhaps, and also Levon Hernandez's season to date. Uh, as we record this, he's he's gotten through eight starts, and he is currently maybe the best pitcher in baseball. Is that is that possible? Please, please help us. Yeah, I mean that would that would be true if we were still analyzing pictures by things like ERA. But you know, part of the reason Fangraphs exists is to try and help people understand, you know, what's talent and what's luck. And you know, I wrote a post earlier this week uh, called "The Luckiest Man Alive" because Levon Hernandez is really I've been having one of these miraculously hilarious seasons that kind of uh, serves dual purposes of both being really interesting and reminding us that absolutely anything can happen in the sport. And so, you know, Levon Hernandez is striking out I think like three and a half batters per nine innings. And yet, somehow, through his pitch-to-contact 85-mile-an-hour fastball, 
he's stranding 98% of all runners he put on base, which is just such an absurdly high total. You wouldn't think anybody could sustain it over two or three starts, much less eight. Uh, and realistically, for a guy to have this bad of stuff, and you know, just not be a quality pitcher, there was not a long line of people chasing Miguel Hernandez, and then to see him pitch this well for the equivalent of you know six weeks. Uh, it's just really funny. Now, uh, Dave, would you just give the the listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with that a baseline uh, for for left on base percentage and, and actually, uh, you know, Hernandez's significance within that? Yeah, well, I mean, like the league average is about seventy percent. Um, so most pitchers will strand seven of ten hitters that they put on base, uh, and you know, bad pitchers will strand less because they're bad pitchers, so they're more likely to give up a hit at all times, including when they're on base. So they'll be in the 60-65% range. Uh, usually you don't see too many pitchers below 60%. That's it's kind of like a, a absolute floor. And then, you know, good pitchers will be in the 75, 77, 78, sometimes 80% range. Uh, if they rack up a lot of strikeouts, they can, you know, leave guys on base. And if they're good pitchers, you know, they're more likely to spread out their uh, six or seven base runners per game over eight or nine innings instead of packing them into three or four innings. So, uh, you know, I think good pitchers will be in that 80% range. No, nobody's ever in the 90% range. No one is really ever in the 98% range. And when that 98% guy is LeVon Hernandez, that just makes it even more funny. Yeah. Hey, so, uh, Caruth, we'll go to you first. Uh, here's the thing. Um, you're, a, you're a Mariners writer. Um, about a week ago, I wrote a post about Doug Fister, right? And it was sort of in response to a conversation I'd had with the guys over at uh, Pitchers and Poets who are also Mariners fans, or if not Mariners big-time fans, at least they live in Seattle and they follow that. And the thing with Fister is, uh, you know, they're saying, why is it that uh, sabermetrically oriented fans have the need to call out Doug Fister because he's not having, because he's not pitching as well as his peripherals, or as his, I should say, as, as his product. His peripherals aren't as good as his product. Can't we just enjoy it? Why do we need to sort of say, uh, oh, he's not this good? And uh, maybe cast a shadow over that. I'm curious. Um, I'm curious as to your take. You know, like where, where do you fall here? You could say with Fister. You could say with the oddity that is Levon Hernandez. Should we be? Should we just enjoy what's happened so far? Or you know, in the case of either Fister or Hernandez, should we be like, well, he's just not this good, and uh, I guess uh, spoil the party for everybody? Well, I think it's a kind of a false dilemma. I don't think there's any reason why pointing out that he's being exceedingly lucky with stranding runners or preventing home runs on fly balls or you know whatever fluke stat you want to pick. I don't see any reason why pointing that out has to detract from enjoying the performance while it's going on. I can sit there and watch. Like anybody who watches a no-hitter and is a, an advanced baseball fan realizes how much luck goes into a no-hitter. Unless it's, you know, especially like Dallas Braden's perfect game. Dallas Braden, I don't know how many people he struck out, but he's not a high strikeout pitcher. Most of the outs occur in the field. You know, it's you're getting lucky to pitch a no hitter or a perfect game in that sense. But I don't think anybody really uh, is, you know, sitting there going, "Oh, look how lucky this guy is getting the whole time." You're you're sitting there, you're enjoying it. You might realize how, you know, how much luck is going into play, but I don't think that takes anything away from enjoying it. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, Joe Paul, you. Um as a Yankees fan, I, you've been sort of witness to, well, at least a couple perfect games, a couple no-hitters. Uh, is that something, do you enjoy the perfect game for what it is? Uh, and, you know, alternatively, are you able to, I guess, are, are you able to put aside maybe some of your uh, skepticism as a, as a sabermetrically oriented writer, reader, etc., 
and enjoy it for what it is, or are you like, well, you know, I mean, it's fine, but you just can't expect it to continue? No, I, I think any baseball fan is going to answer you that when you're watching a game, you're emotionally involved in the game. It's just, it's almost like the sabermetric side is almost turned off when I'm watching the game. You know, I, you know, some things might come to mind, and I might think, oh, this guy's getting lucky and this or that, but it's not the dominant feeling. And that's you know, one of my main problems with sabermetric detractors is they make it like we watch these games with calculators in hand and don't enjoy the the emotional side. And I think it's a bunch of I think it's a bunch of hogwash. I think that you know sabermetric fans are are different in that we can enjoy the emotional ride of the game, but then afterwards take a step back and kind of reflect in a more objective way to see like you know is this sustainable? Is why is he doing this? Why is this happening? How is this occurring? Uh, it's it's two totally different things to my mind. Yeah, that's really smart. And I know I know uh, all you guys. I uh, I follow you via the twitters. I know uh, just yesterday. Um, I think uh, well from when or recently at least. Uh, Ted Griffey Jr. had some sort of walk off hit. Dave Cameron, what did, can you, first of all, I'm not a I'm not a Mariners fan, so wasn't following it closely. What did Griffey do? And I guess for you, as for someone who's been uh, definitely. Um, Sounding the uh, you know the cry that Griffey ought not to be a part of this team. How do you deal with a guy who wins a game for you even though he's been playing bad in the long term? Well, I actually missed it because I had two calculators in my hand at the time. <laughs> You're double fisting. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was thinking for Joe. He's not watching with any, so I had to compensate and keep our nerd cred. But uh, no, you know Griffey came up in the bases loaded and a uh, tie game after Kevin Gregg had walked in the tying run. Um, and he, he lined the uh, signal to right field, which is really about the best that Ken Griffey Jr. can do at this point in his career. And, uh, you know, the walk-off hit after two weeks of probably the worst two weeks of his career with the whole sleeping in the clubhouse thing and then people like me destroying him on various blogs uh, and begging him to retire. And so, you know, uh, there was certainly uh, a feeling of elation just because the Mariners, you know, they were 3-15 and 15 in May before yesterday's win. So Ugh. at some point, you know, regardless of how much I would like King Griffey Jr. To, and Mike Sweeney to go away and roster to be changed, I really was just tired of writing about losing. And so, you know, there was certainly the, the joy of fanness um, that came over me, and I was happy to, you know, write about a win or at least be able to experience one for the first time in quite a while. Um, but at the same time, King Griffey Jr. is still not a major league player, and the fact that he got one huge hit doesn't change that. So maybe people will think I'm an unfeeling, horrible person for not reveling in this magical moment. Uh, I enjoyed the win, and then I still wanted him to go away. Yeah, you know what, uh, Cameron? I think that they might think that you're an unfeeling person, uh, even if not for that. Yeah, well, they might not be totally wrong. Right, okay. <laughs> um, you know... And this is actually this is kind of good. I, I like the the way you sort of use uh, Levon Hernandez as a jumping off point there. That's that's kind of great. Um, and I still want to stick with this theme. I want to I want to change it slightly, but I'd like to stick with this theme of the interaction between, I guess, the emotional aspect of fandom, and then you know maybe how we negotiate our sabermetric sympathies within that. Uh, I want to discuss the um, a sort of more writerly point of view, and of course a lot of listeners will be, be familiar with the blogs that you guys all work on. They'll be familiar with fan graphs. And my guess is a lot of listeners are, you know, at differing levels involved uh, with writing themselves and exactly how that manifests itself, I, you know, far be it for me to say. I, an interesting thing for me, a, a sort of a, a, a dead horse that I am constantly beating, is the interaction between writing and the game on the field, right? And what it is the, the um, you know, the bloggers, the writers' responsibility. How does he sort of serve... 
um, you know, outside of just straight up sabermetric analysis to to augment his experience with the field, right? And one way to do that, I think, is through the series the series preview, the game preview, however that works. You sort of serve at that point, I sort of see as like as a baseball hype man. It's like this is to sort of put into words why it is you're about to watch um, this particular game or series. Uh, I definitely want to get everyone's opinion on this and what you see as the role, the interaction between writing and the game on the field as far as that, that goes. Caruth, I want to start with you because I've been a big fan of your series previews. Um, there's one thing you do in particular where you break down each pitch on the 2080 scale using the numbers. Uh, you know, you look at uh, whiff rates, strike zone rates, uh, ground ball rates for each pitch, ground balls and balls in play. That's one exciting thing. So I'd like to hear you just comment on that specifically. But just in general, how you view it as your role with lookout landing, um, like how do you see, like, what is your responsibility going into the series? Um, what, is your experience, what is your responsibility as a writer to give the fan? Well, thank you for the praise of the series preview. There's, there's a lot of work that goes into those, uh, especially during the offseason, tweaking a lot of the uh, figuring out what, what works and what doesn't. And uh, as far as, like, an obligation or... Uh, I agree with what you said, kind of like as a, as a hype. It's a it's a PR job, kind of for the for the upcoming series. And part of it is just, uh, as I think it happens with all with all writings and offshoot, is that part of it is just me educating myself about what's what's coming up this series. Uh, you know, there's a lot on my plate writing for Fangraphs. Occasionally, we write for ESPN. Uh, just random other stuff for Lookout Landing that I'm not always able to to stay up day to day with the team who's who's coming, who's pitching. Uh, there's always, you know, relatively new teams coming in, except when they do that kind of back-to-back home-and-away series, which gets kind of annoying to see the same team over and over again. But, for instance, uh, we're, we're recording this on a Friday and uh, the first weekend of, of interleague play, and so the uh, Padres are coming into Seattle. And uh, being a Mariner fan and being a generally a majority American League fan, I don't follow the National League as strictly. So it gives me an opportunity to really investigate the Padres and then, as an offshoot of that, just pass on that information, what I found interesting or not, to the readers and kind of hopefully save them that time. And hopefully they appreciate that and keep coming back and we get those all-important site visits. Yeah, yeah but I, this this idea actually of educating oneself, the writer, I, I know that as a... Uh, um, I'm lightly employed as a writing instructor at a community college here in Portland, Oregon. And I've noticed that ever since I've uh, been on the teaching side of that of that, that relationship, the, the teacher-student relationship, it's actually sort of this guilty pleasure as a teacher is that um, because you don't want to seem like a total idiot in front of your students, you actually have to learn the material way better than you ever did as a student. Um, and, and that's as certainly I, I see that too as a writer, uh, where it's your responsibility to present this information to make it digestible to a writer to, to a readership. You have to um, you have to in a sense you have to learn all the material before you can um, you know spill it out because otherwise you seem like a total idiot. Joe Paul, you uh, I think are in charge of uh, writing previews for River Ave Blues. Um, in fact, I believe that uh, as we record this today, you've just posted one. Uh, between the the Mets and the Yankees, uh, what what do you sort of see? Uh, is, the, is this Mets Yankees one? Is this preview different for you? Is this similar? And what do you sort of see as your responsibility as a uh, as a site specific blogger for doing that? Uh, this one is quite different than than any other kind of season preview we do because we did it before the S Network. 
they kind of asked us if we want because they, they're trying to find different ways to integrate content. And I didn't want to go in there and give them a uh, a short season preview, even if it even if it gave most of the same information uh, as the one I happened to to put out. Uh, it's it's more for the huge audience. It's more for the you know let's get psyched up about the the, the subway series. And uh, you know given given the audience, which is much different than the audience you know the primary audience we have. Uh, I thought this it would be a lot more general, a lot more you know I didn't go and cite uh, too much Waba and too much FIP, even though they did make appearances. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't based on that. It was based more on uh, more on generalizations and more on things that uh, a more general readership would uh, would understand. So how does so the typical River Ave Blues preview? What do you uh, you so in this case you sort of know your audience a little bit more, and you as one of the editors are probably responsible for uh, for shaping the wants and, and the likes of that audience. Obviously, you can't control them, but I, I will have just um, by the time this goes up, I'll have posted a, um, an interesting podcast with Dan Moore of Viva Libertos, really smart guy, and he says that um, you know, as an editor, and, and he's sort of taking this this cue from the editor who came before him, you do have a you do have a pretty large hand in shaping the audience's expectations and the way they conduct themselves in the blog. What do you see when you're coming up with a preview as, you know, like, how do you feed that? Uh, how do you feed your readership? How do you feed their expectations and also create expectations? Uh, we try to we try to come at them, as we come at them with, with advanced stats because we know our audience is at least open to them. Uh, I don't want to say they're all on board with them, but they all understand what they mean. They all understand why we're using these, uh, you know, over over the traditional, you know, the traditional batting average home runs RBI stats. Uh, and and when they don't, and this is this is where I think the the preview comes into play even more. Uh, you know, in the comments section, we always flesh out any kind of explanations we need. Uh, and I think that's the one big difference and the one big advantage uh, that blogs have these days is not only having the the comments section, but having the authors interact with with readers who have questions specifically about things they don't understand in the preview. Okay. Now, Dave uh, Cameron, I I see that uh, at USS Mariner, you also do. Uh you, you do it more on a on a game by game basis maybe, and as is the case with some of the you know the the bigger team specific blogs, you'll just sort of uh, you know there's definitely a thread going on right here. I'm looking at uh, game 41 Jays and Mariners. This took place yesterday, and this is about as simple as simple can go in terms of a preview, and yet it's pretty effective. Uh, it just says Romero versus Vargas 12:40 p.m. Romero ha- Romero has a nasty changeup. This should go well, and then it's the Mariners lineup. Um, and then there is a, an inside joke, which I'm assuming is an inside joke. Uh, it says Ichiro right field, Figgins second base, Gutierrez center field, and then playing DH and batting fourth is six four three. I see you sort of like definitely taking advantage of your knowledge, your intimacy with the readership there. Have you ever fooled around with a longer game preview? Is this just sort of like do you sort of see this? That is not necessarily. Ne- um, it's not as necessary because you have this relationship and you know that the uh, comment section is just going to get filled up? Yeah. Well, I think the game threads themselves, I've never necessarily seen them as a preview. They usually go up, I don't know, an hour before game time or so. Uh, and usually, I try and put in a couple paragraphs. Yesterday was a busy day, so they got one sentence about how Ricky Romero is going to kill us. He did not, but, uh, you know, that was the expectation going in anyway. Uh, I'll usually try and write up a couple of comments about the expectation of what will happen, but in terms of previewing uh, what's going to come, one of the things that I think I've learned is that in baseball, in one specific game, we really don't have any idea what's going to happen. I mean, there have been so many times where, you know, you bring in a left-handed reliever who's got a, you know, 
500 opponent uh, uh, opponent's OPS of 500 against lefties, and you know there's a left-handed hitter with a whose career you know one for 64 off of him, and he hits a game-winning home run. Or you know yesterday Brooks Conrad hit a walk-off grand slam, and a, 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 a Braves beat the Reds after having a 0.2 percent win expectancy. I mean, really trying to predict what's going to happen in one specific game. You can't do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, people don't make money betting on baseball for the most part. And so uh, I generally try and stay more on, like, the big picture kind of topics. And so, you know, like the 6-4-3 thing, you know, Mike Sweetie hit, hit into a critical uh, double play a few weeks ago, and so he labeled him 6-4-3 because we, we just don't like the guy. We would like to take chances to mock him. But, uh, you know, I think trying to stay big picture as best as we can to get away from reading it too much into one specific game is kind of the best advice I could give almost anyone, and so that's kind of what we do with our game threads, is I'm not going to necessarily make too many predictions or uh, conclusions based on the uh, results of one game, and so let's just watch and enjoy and generally have the same opinion we did the day before. Right, yeah, and, that, and I'm guessing that's also probably a case of being a, a team-specific blogger, is there's, there's only so much you can say that, you know, there's only so much that's changed since the day before, right? right. So, I mean, there's a, there's sort of the possibility there for overwriting, too. Would you, would you say that's the case? Yeah, and I think we see that. I mean, like right now, uh, the Mariners have been playing as bad as any team in baseball for the last month, and so fans are freaking out, and they, you know, the comments are full of fire non-Wakamatsu, and, uh, you know, there's people who are significantly reacting to the events of a couple of weeks when, in, in reality, what we know is a couple of weeks of baseball doesn't really mean anything. I mean, the Houston Astros started at 0-8, and then one eight of their next ten, and now they're like you know two and fifteen cents or whatever. Like the the idea of momentum in baseball is kind of a myth, and teams play badly and then they play well and then they play badly again, and you can't really project based on a day to day. Oh, they looked bad yesterday; they'll probably look bad tomorrow. We just never really know. I mean, as bad as this Mariners offense has been, they scored eleven runs in one game. Like you would never expect that this lineup could score eleven runs, but they did. You know, and so. Uh, I think realistically we just have to understand that the results of any one game or any one series aren't all that predictive. And so uh, while I enjoy the series preview and I think it has its place, I generally try and uh, limit my expectations of what I can say about any particular game or two. Yeah, hey, now Caruth, with regard, again, to Lookout Landing, I know I actually uh, shared some beer and cheese curds uh, with your partner from that, uh, Jeff Sullivan, Um we did that a couple, uh, maybe about a week ago here in Portland. And uh, I will say to anyone who's listening, the cheese curd, the fried cheese curd, I should say, is one of God's gifts to uh, to the human palate. And if you are um, anywhere near a, a place where you could have a fried cheese curd, go do it now. Moving on. Uh, I know that uh, Sullivan lamented a little bit the fact that maybe he didn't, uh, as far as you know, game thoughts, etc., that maybe he wasn't more in depth, um, and he has certainly embraced the bullet point. I mean, and I, I don't. He's kind of lamented that, but I'm kind of thinking that maybe the bullet point, you know, as Dave Cameron here, maybe the maybe the bullet point is a way to is a way to do it, um, and and he shouldn't lament that fact. He should celebrate it. Do you have you guys had conversations about that beyond that? And you know, have you given him in, uh, any advice about that, or would you give him any advice about it now? Uh, he's he's shared the same lamentations to me before. I think that's more just a pride issue rather than a he thinks uh, you know whether it's it's covering a lot of too much or too little depth because it's not like the meat of the of the review is still there. It's more just uh, going to bullet points allows you to eliminate those uh, pesky transitions between points. So, yeah, who needs them? 
Right. Who, who needs them? We should just change topics. We should do bullet, bullet point podcasts, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to the next bullet point, then. Uh, interleague play. Uh, Matthew Caruso. Boo. boo. Okay, yeah, so that's that's your bullet point. Why, why boo? You're about to enter into it as a Mariners fan. You're playing the Padres, one of your heated rivals. I, I'm, I'm, I can only assume, because that's what that's maybe what what it does. You you feel boo on it. Tell us why. why. What's the deal? Why why don't why are you into it? Well, I think I my, the reason for for my disliking it's about ninety five percent of the same reason that uh, Joe Paul dislikes it. So if if he wants to, but he seemed a little bit more animated in the warm up. So if he wants to take this, I'm, I'm in, in the warm up. Okay, Joe Paul, go for it. It's I said, it's totally an emotional reaction. It's growing up watching baseball and knowing that, you know, my father always, when, when, we, when, he, when he was teaching me baseball, it was always that the National League and the American League do not meet until the World Series. And that seems so neat to me that we have all these other sports leagues. You know, the NFL, they play other conferences constantly. The NBA, the NHL, they all play each other all season long. And then they go to the playoffs where they're separated by, uh, by conference. But in baseball, it was just different. It was, you know, this league against this league, and, you know, we're so separate, we play by different rules. And only at the end, only at the end, do they find out who the best team in the whole league is, because none of the other teams have played each other. And uh, that was, I don't know, that was a huge selling point for me. I thought it was an excellent idea to keep away from the the integration and let let it be almost like two separate leagues. So, uh, wait, then, now this it, is interesting to me though, because you're a sabermetric writer, but you, now you sound like a grumpy old man. <laughs> I, I mean, which are you, or are you you're both? You, you think that 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 maybe one of the draws of baseball is some of its traditional aspects, but that doesn't mean we can't look at it in an intelligent way. No, we can't. And you know, it's funny because from, from a from a, an objective standpoint, it would seem that you would get a better sampling of who the best team, what the, you know, what the true best team in the league is, if you had a truly balanced schedule. If every team played every other team the same amount of times. It seems to me that that would meet out, you know, the truly best teams uh, better than a than a sep- than separating the leagues. Yeah, but from a completely emotional standpoint, just you know, a throwback from my youth, you know, and even you know, and I'll even go back to before I was born. I just think the whole league should just it should be American League, one division, National League, one division, play it out. Best teams go to the World Series. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're not excited about playing the Yankees at all? I mean, or sorry, the uh, the Mets. You're, I mean, this is not uh, the, the the Subway Series. This doesn't get you going. No, not really. I mean, and I really kind of wish they, they, they had the Subway World Series before they started playing those interleague games every year. That would have been neat. But once they played the Subway Series in 2000, and there are already years of, of interleague play behind them, so that was kind of, it was a little less exciting than it could have been. Cameron, are you are you roughly with these guys? Or, I mean, are you excited to be to have the Padres coming into town, or do you like the, the sort of, uh, I guess this is a case where separate but equal isn't a dirty word, right? It's uh, it's something that maybe to be embraced. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of Paul Lukowski's, uh claims about the separation and the the uniqueness that it brought to the sport. I will say that I, I'm not maybe I, maybe I don't hate it quite as much as everybody else, and I do think like I think there's a way to do it that could be pretty cool that is not currently being done. Like, what if they flipped the rules? So, uh, you know, nationally comes to a team comes to an American League park and there's no DH. I mean, American League fans never get to see a game where there's no DH and the pitchers have to hit. And, you know, for a Mariner fan, that would actually be an improvement over their DH. So <laughs> we would enjoy seeing the DH on the bench. And, uh, you know, but I think that could be an interesting way to give the fans some variety uh, in the ballpark experience that maybe they don't get. And it could be an interesting way of, 
mixing it up. Right now, I mean, the Padres come to Seattle, it doesn't, it, no one cares. Uh, it's not adding anything. And if we're going to be realistic about this, it's about money. I mean, the Yankees and Mets are going to draw well, and it's going to be on Fox and ESPN all weekend, and Major League Baseball did a money grab. And, you know, can we uh, harm them or, you know, criticize them for wanting to make money? I mean, that's, they're a capitalist organization. I think we shouldn't expect anything different. Wait, yeah, so just an aside here, do you think that maybe um – Maybe Jack Zarenchik and, and his crew, because they came from the National League, they they don't know that you're allowed to use the DH, and they think that you have to yeah. have a pitcher like hitter in it. It's quite possible. There's actually uh, one instance the other day uh, when Felix Hernandez started, and I noted that uh, Felix's career OPS was higher than Ken Griffey Jr.'s current OPS, and that I uh, would consider pinch hitting Felix for for Griffey, and then I realized that they could have just not sent Griffey up there to begin with, and <laughs> it would have had the same effect, and and then I got sad. <laughs> wow, a little um, a little pathos visits the pod. Karuth, I know you're a big hockey fan, and, and I don't, uh, I, I'm not a big one, but my sense is that they play a lot of uh, sort of interconference type matchups. Does that bother you in hockey? No, not so much. I think part of uh, my biggest objection to interleague play it's not a philosophical, it's not as strong a philosophical uh, objection as as Polakowski's is. It's more that the way they currently implement it just sucks to my, to my standing. The way it's, especially like for now, for this year, for example, sticking with the Mariners, I hate to keep bringing it up, but that's, you know, it's the team I know is that, uh, we're facing the NL Central this year, or the AOS plays the NL Central, and the AOS has four teams, the NL Central has six teams, which by the way, I mean, why do we allow that? That's silly anyways, but, uh, that, that's probably enough, uh, discussion for two hours. But in, in the way it breaks down is that, you know, we play, I think, four out of the six NL Central teams. Uh, we don't get to play the, I think, the Astros or the Pirates. Whereas some oh, of those the would be good teams, teams to play. Those would be great teams to play as a Mariner fan. Uh, some of our competition in the AOS gets to play them and gets to avoid playing, for example, the Cardinals. So the way that it's, it's just, I feel like we either need to go back to the no inter- interleague play and accept the unbalanced schedules or whatever, or we need to, you can open up interleague play, I'm, I'm fine with that, I'm not thrilled, but if you're going to do it, make it a balanced schedule. It, it just, it has to be balanced. And as a side benefit of that, it would make some of our statistical assumptions a lot uh, more sound, because we would actually get true uh, sampling. Yeah, Joe Paul, would that, would that be a, a concession that you would make? It would be more palatable if... Uh, if the, the schedules weren't oddly shaped the way they are, or is that uh, you're not hearing it at all? I, I'm really not hearing it. I mean, I, it's a better idea, and I think I think both Matthew and Dave uh, had better ideas than was currently implemented. Uh, but you know, on principle, I'd be against it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I, I I do want to. I think that uh, this has been a great conversation thus far. I do want to wrap it up, but of course, the. Uh, there has been a problem with the pod thus far, and uh, that's that we've only had a limited, if if at all, mentioning of Colby Lewis. And I just want to make sure that we uh, that we get through that. Uh, we have done the Colby Lewis Cy Young watch, and uh, on the pod before, and I just want to make sure we get to that again. Uh, we'll start with Dave Cameron. This is Colby Lewis's Cy Young chances. Do you have any more milk jokes to make, or are you going to go up from skim to two percent? You know, the last last milk joke I made uh, went way over your head, so apparently I need to lower my humor bar uh, in order to qualify. Yeah, if it doesn't have poop or fart in it, I'm, not, I'm probably not going to get it. 
Yeah, that's that's too bad. I'll uh, I'll have to consult with Sullivan. He might have some jokes for me that I could use. He does have a bit of a foul mouth. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do notice that, and that's that's why. Um, uh, Karuth, when I first invited you onto the pod, I, I was surprised at how few f bombs you were dropping. But I guess that's Sullivan mostly. That's mostly Jeff, yeah. Yeah, mouth of a sailor, that guy, <laughs> uh, which actually makes sense for uh, being a fan of the Mariners, I guess. Um, now, Karuth, that is uh, quite, quite the pun. Was that a pun? That, that was a pun. Yeah, that was an R.J. Anderson level pun. Oh, that guy, yeah, that guy uh, has some skills. I, I keep trying to coax him on onto the pod, uh, but. Uh, he he refuses. He's uh, I think he's big leaguing us is what's happening there. Uh, I don't know exactly, uh, but hopefully this uh, this call to action will get him some light, some fire under him. So wait, what was your final analysis, uh, Cameron? Are you under zero? Are you under zero percent? No chance at all. No, no. I mean I think uh, Lewis has pitched well enough to where we can upgrade him uh, to you know like three or four percent. But I will say that you know he's harmed by having the uh, to hand the ball over to Frank Francisco every once in a while. <laughs> Ooh, a little bait being thrown down uh, for our dark overlord. Let's see if he's listening in. We don't know. Uh, Caruth, uh, Colby Lewis, you've seen him, by, I'm guessing, a couple times now, right? Out of his yeah. eight or so starts. Yeah, a couple times. Yeah, you, are, you ama- are you amazed by him? No. Oh. No, I'm not. Well, because for, first of all, I saw him in his first start, and he was hardly uh, dominant in his first, first appearance back in the major leagues. Mm. Uh, his second one was a was a thorough thrashing. That is for sure. Was that he had a doozy? They had a, a pitching duel. Uh, he versus it was, a, it was the Cliff Lee. Yeah. 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 Ten strikeouts, nine innings. Again, it, it was against the Mariners, so I think that uh, that that is part of it. Uh, my concern, if 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 Colby Lewis was established, if he had been in the major leagues the last couple of years, I would be more enthusiastic about his Cy Young chances this year. But part of it of him being away from the major leagues, away from major league scouts for so long, and then coming back uh, is what leaves me more doubtful about his ability to sustain this. I think pitchers, when they first show up in the major leagues, and for all intents and purposes, I think that's basically what Colby Lewis is doing. Uh, They they start out with the advantage. Uh, Pitchers are proactive. Hitters have to react to that. Hitters are the ones that have to scout the pitchers and figure out, you know, what's... What minor changes in his, his motion might mean, and how his pitches move, and ex- how he likes his sequence, and that could change on the catcher. All that sort of stuff gives the pitcher the initial advantage. So I think uh, it, it's hard for me to be enthusiastic about Colby Lewis because I don't know how he's going to sustain this coming through. Yeah, so, it seems like one of the things you're not considering is how um, Colby Lewis's part is like half like part deity. Part. <laughs> it seems weird that you're omitting that from your analysis. Well, then, if, he, if that were true, you'd think he'd have the humility to conceal that better. That's interesting. You do uh, you do give a good point there. Joe Paul, I don't think that uh, Colby Lewis has come to your hood quite yet. Are you fearing him? Are your knees trembling? I'm I'm glad the Yankees missed him when they uh, when they played this three game set uh, back in April, and I think it's a big part of why big part of why they swept them. But I really haven't seen much of Lewis this year. I saw the start against Cliff Lee, and then the other ninety percent of my Lewis consumption this year has come courtesy of you. Yeah, well, it's going to keep coming, so don't worry. Uh, anyway, do put uh, Colby Lewis watching on your agenda, right? Uh, the thing that I see that is on the agenda for the pod right now is to stop it post-haste, uh, but it has been brilliant so far, nothing short of white hot. Uh, so to Dave Cameron, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, no problem. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure having you here, Dave. Uh-huh, thanks. <laughs> Matthew Cruz, uh, white hot analysis as always. I guess you can go back to work, maybe? 
Yeah, time lunch break is over, but it's always a pleasure to join this, uh, as you say, incredibly round table. Yeah, it's very, it's so round, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, it's shocking. I wonder who the craftsman was in charge of this. Joe Paul, uh, once again, thank you and uh, for bringing uh, yourself and all of your W's to this conversation. I'm gonna go drink some whiskey. I'm not gonna comment on that. I think Kobe <laughs> Lewis wants some of those W's back. Oh snap! Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, look at look at the word smithery going on around here. Uh, th- this this has been an uh, episode of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, please join us all the time. I am and will continue to be Carson Sistuli, and this has been, like I say, Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.